said today. He said, we go at the pace necessary to grasp what Paul was saying, but more importantly, to be grasped by what Paul was saying. And so, you know, I just want to kind of like, oh, cruise, you know, let's get through it. There's so much. And, and uh, we're just going to do, you know, every week we're going to be in a different chapter, you know, we'll just be moving through and I just know that the Lord has 16 through 26 for our church this Sunday for walking in the spirit versus walking in the flesh and fruits of the spirit versus fruits of the flesh. So uh, we're going at the pace necessary to be grasped by what the Holy Spirit was speaking through Paul here. Um, so verse 6 says, and, and we're kind of going into a little bit of Sunday's text, but I, I feel like we neglected it this Sunday. So it says, uh, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. So uh, learning that uh, chapter 5, verse 1, we're to stand fast in the freedom by which Christ has made us free and not to be untangled again in any yoke of bondage. Then he goes right into talking about, so if you are entangled again in a yoke of bondage, i.e. being circumcised or something that represents or is a symbol of going back to works-based righteousness, uh, then what you've done is you put yourself under the law again. Christ profits you nothing. Um, you've fallen from grace. You've been estranged from Christ. And all of these different things that are just really sad statements that show what happens when we go back to, um, to religion and our labors to um, be made right before God. And kind of the main thing for Galatians was that circumcision. Uh, for us, it's, it's a million different things in our culture that we put upon ourselves. Um, but, you know, circumcision is kind of like a representation of those legalistic rituals. Uh, so, uh, in Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're circumcised or not. Um, what matters is a changed heart. Uh, circumcision does not have, a, it says a veil there in my version. It means it doesn't have power. It doesn't bring health. It's something that's not capable. Uh, Romans 2 really speaks to this in verse 25. It says circumcision is profitable. It's, it's totally profitable if you keep the law. But if you're a breaker of the law, and we know Deuteronomy and James both tell us if you even have broke the law one time in your entire life, <laughs> your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirement of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are transgressors of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward of the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And so uh, circumcision doesn't matter. What matters is, have you had a heart change? You know, Paul uses the, the phrase circumcised in the heart. That means the, the, the cutting away of the flesh of your heart. Uh, has that happened? Because if that has happened, then you, you will be fulfilling the law. You'll be fulfilling the law 
through the love of God and the love of people, as we're going to see in verses 13 and 14 tonight. Uh, Romans 9, verses 30 through 33 speak to this as well when addressing how Gentiles ended up being grafted into what God was doing through the promises of Israel and how for the current time Israel has fallen away from those promises. It says, what should we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, they didn't have any Ten Commandments, they didn't have the Law of Moses, they didn't, have, they didn't know anything about Abraham, but they have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the Law of Righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone, written as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So Israel, they were uh, broken off for a time being. God's going to bring them back. But they were broken off uh, because they did not pursue righteousness that comes through faith. Uh, Rather, they did it through works. And that's the same problem that Paul is addressing here in the Galatians. Uh, I love that beginning, though, there in Romans 9.30, that the Gentiles, who weren't even trying, they didn't, you know, they were just out there doing their pagan thing, uh, barbarians, um, and yet they were found righteous uh, because they had trusted in what Jesus had done in his righteousness. And so those things don't matter, but what matters is, and when I say those things, I mean circumcision, uncircumcision, external religiosity, that doesn't matter, but what does matter and what does bring the power, what does avail much, is the last little line of our text here in verse 6, faith working through love. Faith working through love. That's what avails much. As Paul says to the Corinthians, were any of you called while while circumcised? Let him not be uncircumcised. Were any of you called while uncircumcised? Then don't go off and get circumcised to try to measure up to something that God would want from you or you think God would want from you. And then again, he says to the Corinthians, circumcision and uncircumcision, that's nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. That might be just a hair confusing for a minute. Because Rory, aren't you talking about, don't worry about keeping the law, don't try to do that for righteousness, that's not what does it. So why is Paul saying circumcision, uncircumcision, doesn't matter, but keeping the law, keeping the commandments is what matters? Then where's the power come from? How does this happen? Jesus tells us in Mark 12, when a a lawyer came and tried to stump him and tried, tried to trick him by saying, what is the first commandment? Of all, or what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, the first is, uh, I'm just going to paraphrase here, looking in verse 30 of Mark 12. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first, but there's another one, a second one like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, there is no commandment greater than these. So, In our Galatians chapter 5 text, verse 6, that keeping the law, circumcision, uncircumcision, that doesn't matter. What matters is faith working through love. And then Jesus tells, what's the greatest commandment? Faith in God, right? Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And then 
through love, loving your neighbor as yourself, that is keeping the commandments of God. Because if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you're not going to go whittle out a little carved image and put it on your fireplace and start worshiping it because that's not loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All right? You're not going to go worship idols. You're going to be keeping the Sabbath because you're going to want to be spending those times with the Lord, keeping those times holy. Almost every day becomes the Sabbath when you become a Christian. So you for sure fulfill the one day of Sabbath. Then you have uh, the keeping of the law, the, the final six of the Ten Commandments, which deal with our relationship with man. We're not going to steal our neighbor's boat or his RV because we're loving him just as we're loving ourselves. We're not going to have an affair with his wife because we love him as we love ourselves, and we know we wouldn't want that happening to us. We're not going to covet. We're not going to steal. We're not going to lie because those are things that we wouldn't want done to ourselves, nor would we do to ourselves. And so we love them as we love ourselves, and we love the Lord with all our heart. And so what you have in all of that, Holy Spirit-driven faith working through love, is the fulfillment of the law where circumcision and uncircumcision don't matter. Because the Holy Spirit is in you. The new covenant is that he's written the law on your hearts and on your minds. You don't need the tablets. You've got it written in here. And now the Holy Spirit is moving you towards obedience in those areas. And that's why Jesus, that's why Paul, they say those are the greatest commandments. Faith working through love. Now, I'm going to get a little, little confusing here because I'm going to jump down a few verses and look at them. We're going to jump down to verses 13 and 14 because I think they really complement that faith working through love part of verse 6. Because verse 13 says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. You've been called to liberty. Freedom! You know, Galatians 5.1, Stand fast in the freedom by which Christ has made you free. Woo! Freedom, right? You love it. You've been called to that. You've been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. So we're seeing in verses 13 and 14 why love is so important uh, as an imperative once we've been redeemed by the grace of Jesus. We've been called to freedom. We can stand fast in freedom, but we're not to use that freedom as an opportunity to sin. And you know, that's, that's pretty relevant to us, I think. As Paul told the Corinthians, be careful lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. So that's talking about freedoms that we have as Christians, maybe what are called gray areas, you know. Um, things that are, you know, they're not forbidden in Scripture. But that's great. But while you can do those things, are they going to stumble your brother? That would be a, a case of don't let our freedoms just be a jumping block to just sin and cause people around us to sin just because we can. Because we know that our sin, uh, if something leads us to sin, it should never be a freedom in our life. Or if it stumbles someone to fall into something that is a conviction in their heart, then we know that that freedom has actually enslaved somebody else. As Paul says, should we continue to sin so that grace would abound? 
And this is almost flip-flopped in Galatians 5.13. Should we have so much grace that sin would abound? (laughs) Those things can't happen together. As Peter tells us, we are free, but we're not using freedom as a cloak or a vice. Kind of like when you're a senior in high school, you know, and you're just ready to graduate and be done and and you graduate that day and then there's that big senior party and nowadays schools are organizing senior parties because they want them to be safe places where you know seniors won't go get drunk and all of that stuff uh and and so they make safe little party places it's the one i went to in case you're wondering anyways (laughs) okay i went to the okay uh anyways Uh, But instead, so many seniors use Freedom Day, Graduation Day, as a chance to drive up in the hills in their 4x4 and get drunk and live in immorality for that night of freedom, right? And Paul's saying, don't let Freedom Day be the day where you go live in debauchery. Let it be the day where you rather love and serve one another. That is what freedom is for. He also says in 1 Corinthians 9.19, Though I am free from all men... I have made myself a servant to all. I'm free. I don't have to do nothing for you, but I choose to. You know, I get to. I want to. I'm free. And so as the the story of the slave that we heard was freed on Sunday, you know, she says, I can go anywhere I want now that I've been freed. I, you know, and she tell she, I, I can do anything I want, be with anyone I want, say anything I want. Then I choose to be with you, she says to her liberator. And it's the same for us. Although I'm free from all men, men, I've made myself a servant. And what, why would Paul make himself a servant of everyone? It says, so that I might win the more. For the advancement of the gospel. And to the Jews, I became a Jew that I might win the Jews. To those that are under the law, I became as if I was under the law. Boy, that's sketchy, isn't it? I mean, he's talking about grace and grace and you're rebuking the Judaizers and all that. But to win those who are under the law, he never compromised. But he did as much as possible to relate to them so that they would be won by the gospel of grace. To those who are without the law as without the law. And then he kind of clarifies, not without being without the law toward God, but under the law toward Christ. I mean, I didn't go crazy. (laughs) Kind of what he's saying. That I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. And so the freedom that we have, stand fast in that freedom. Don't be entangled again in a yoke of bondage. And yet with your freedom, don't go living in debauchery or causing other people to stumble. Use your freedom as a chance. Now we get to love. We get to love our God and we get to love our fellow man. Verse 14 of Galatians 5 also complements verse 6. That's why we're hopping down a little bit. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. And some of your translations might say all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this one statement, one translation says. Or this one command, another translation says. All the law is fulfilled In this one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law summed up 
in love. Love, I like the heading of my Bible, says, love fulfills the law. Little bold black words right there. Love fulfills the law. As Romans 8.13 says, Owe no man anything. Be free. Right? Stand fast in your freedom. Don't owe anyone anything. <laughs> Except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Bear one another's burdens, Paul would say in Galatians 6.2. We'll be there next week. <laughs> Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so, those 13 and 14, those verses, man, they just, I think they just go well with verse 6. And, and so I had to hop to them. We'll get to them at the bottom again. But, so let's go to verse 7 of Galatians 5. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Pretty good commendation there. But it's three words. <laughs> it's a three-word commendation commendation, not condemnation. You ran well. Man, you hear a coach say that? It's like, yeah, 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 I did, right? It's three words, and it immediately goes into, so what happened? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Paul speaks of running a lot in his epistles, and I was kind of refreshed to get to this verse, because I love those athletic passages that Paul writes about a lot. He was really into the Olympics, he was really into the, the Greek games. He speaks a lot of running and athletics and things like that. Um, in fact, even in chapter 2, verse 2, he referenced running. So, I mean, this dude was into uh, Prefontaine and Waffle Nikes and all that stuff. But he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, some, a good exhortation regarding running. He says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run... We're all running here, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. So you, when you hear those three words to the Galatians, you ran, past tense, you ran well, there was a season where they were running in a way just to obtain the prize. And you guys do the imagery in your brain. You've seen the Olympics. You've seen those guys just going for it, running in a way to obtain it. These guys, Paul goes on to say, they're, they're disciplined in every way. And they go, and they're disciplined to win a perishable crown, which is a Stephanos. It was made out of leaves. You guys have seen it. Uh, Stephanos. And then he says, but we in our spiritual race, we are running for a diadem. We are running for a, a, a crown that will last forever. And because of that, I run, not with uncertainty, not sure where I'm supposed to go. Probably two weeks ago, we were down at uh, the Badger Dash at, Bar at Barnesview Elementary running with the kids, and, and uh, you know, Russell's trying to get a lot of numbers of laps, you know, uh, I guess to beat his friends, I don't know. And so I was running with him, we were, we were running well. And there are kids that are like, you know, they're walking off in the grass, you know, there's kids that are walking backwards, you know, there's kids that are doing bear crawls over here. Uh, and, you know, Russell, he's doing well. I mean, he's, he's actually a pretty good little runner. I don't know where he gets that, but he's running pretty good. But I'm trying to tell him, like, son, um, you know, this is an endurance race. We're trying to get as many laps as possible. So see how there's lines in the track? You want to stay in the line. You don't want to waste your energy by cruising six lanes over and then coming back to me and then running around. I'm like, you're going to get more laps if you stay in one lane. And, and what he would do is dead sprint, you know, for like 50 yards, 
stop, walk back to me, you know, and then dead sprint again. You know, I don't know where the sprints come from. That's also how he hikes. So he's got a lot of training that needs to be done before Nepal if that's how he's going to hike. Dead sprint up the hill. And then wore out, needs me to carry him. And then dead sprint up the hill, you know. And it's like, dude, we got to like, this is an endurance race. And we'll look at Hebrews 12 there in a second. That's endurance is what we're going for in life. It's not a sprint. Run in a way that you'll obtain it. Now, two hours later, we went to Barnes Butte Run with Lainey. Oh, I'm glad she's not in here tonight. I mean, she was more of like a hold mom's hand and cruise and talk to her friends, you know. And I'm looking at the checklist card on the back of her shirt. And I'm like, girl, we've got a lot to do here. I mean, we've got to do some running. You're, you're running for the perishable crown here. Russell's running for the imperishable crown. We've got to run in a way that we could obtain it. I'm sorry. She really slowed down when she found out she had to go back to school after the race and didn't get to go home with us. So that was the, the issue. Uh, if you want honest, what? Okay, anyway, uh, Hebrews 12.1, just such a great passage about running. You should like this, Kimmy. In fact, will you read this for us? Will you read Hebrews 12, 1 and 2? Oh, there's a video of her running on Facebook. You got to see it. Just, okay. A little female prefontaine. Okay, so Hebrews 11 is called the Hall of Faith. And there's just this list of all these incredible fathers and, and mothers of the faith that went before us that just lived out incredible acts of trusting the Lord and what God did for them. And then in verse 1 of chapter 12, Paul says, or whoever wrote Hebrews, says, all those guys and gals that went before us, it's like they are in a coliseum and there's an Olympics going on and they are all up in there and they're cheering us on. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses and it's the Hebrews 11 crew. And it says because of that, two things. First of all, let us lay aside every weight. It's ridiculous in our race to wear, wear those cool little leg weights, you know, when we're ready to run. And, and it's ridiculous to wear an Alaskan parka when it's race time, you know, you got to wear the, the thin little aerodynamic streamline, you know, and, and then you put the shoes on with the cleats and the needles in them, and you're, okay, I never was in track, so I'm not sure what they're giving, but, you know, and, but it's interesting because the weights are distinguished from the sin that easily ensnares us. So there are things in our lives that are not sin, but they are weights. And they're hindering our Christian life. They're stopping an enduring run from going on. And the Holy Spirit needs to show what those are to you guys. Because they're the gray areas. They're things that it's okay for you to do. But they're things that are slowing you down. They're things that are hindering your run with the Lord. And so, you know, sometimes it is time to like cut the direct TV cable. Or, you um, you know, pour out the Coronas. Or, you know, ditch the SIGs, you know. Or throughout the stogies or, you know, fast from the internet or whatever, you know, things that are freedoms that we have, but you know what, man, this is just slowing me down. They're slowing me down. There's tons of liberties, you know, I'm just thinking of just the ones that just rapid fire to my brain. Non-sins, but then there's also sin that easily ensnares us, that the Lord would pinpoint, that he would convict, that we could lay aside, as Colossians speaks of, taking off garments these things easily ensnare us. And then it says, so let us run an endurance race that's been set before us. And the motivation that we have in the race, it's really not even every other father of the faith figure that's in the arena around us. It's the dude at the finish line whose name is Jesus. And he is the one that went before us. He's already ran the race. 
He's the motivating factor because he's the author and the finisher of the race. And so we look to him who, who, for the joy that was set before him, ran the race. So much so he endured the cross. He is the example for us in our run. And so you ran well, Galatians. Now, would that be something that Paul would speak to you today? Would it be a past tense thing? You know, if you entered your name into that, you ran well? Or would he say you're running well? Or was there a time in your life that you ran better? You ran well. What hindered you from obeying the truth? What causes the run to be ruined? Came home uh, the other day. It was uh, early morning. Driving home. And uh, I see Jake and Naomi Childers running up Yellow Pine Road. Okay? Two folks from our church. And so I toot my horn at them them as I'm driving by. And then I back into my driveway and kind of wait for them to run by my house. And then I, hey, how's it going? You know, and... And I hate it because I know that, man, they're just getting their heart rate up. You know, they're in the target heart range. You know, they're burning calories. This is, they're finally away from the kids for a minute to get a jog in. What hinders their race? You know, they stop and talk for 15 minutes. You know, you lose, you need that second wind, you know. And uh, in the case of the Galatians, there was someone that jumped out from behind a truck. There was a false brother and a pseudo Adelpho, a, a false brother, a false teacher, a false prophet. And they taught a spurious gospel, as one man put it. I like that. A spurious, false gospel. And they came in to supplement Christ. And as Hendrickson said, and man, it's just a phrase we got to memorize, guys. A Christ supplemented is a Christ supplanted. And that is what causes a race to be hindered. Verse 8 tells us in Galatians 5, this persuasion, this supplementing and supplanting of Christ. This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. You read your Bible and you won't come to this false gospel. Not obeying the truth resorts in legalism, causing, verse 1, re-enslavement to a yoke of bondage. Verse 2, Christ to become worthless in your life. Verse 3, indebtedness to the law. Verse 4, estranged from Christ. And verse 4 again, falling away from grace. Those five things in the first four verses do not come from the one who called you. They are demonic, they are satanic. And they need to be purged out. As verse 9 says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I love sourdough bread. And how interesting it is that a lump of dough becomes sour, and I'm probably totally screwing up the science behind it, Lisa, so you'll have to forgive me, by a little bit of yeast, sour yeast, being in the, the lump, and it just sits there, and it permeates the whole dough lump, the bump, or whatever it's called, you know, and, and it becomes sour. And it's a picture of sin. Sin's out, sin starts out teeny tiny in our lives, unchecked, unrepented of, unconfessed, And it spreads like a canker, it spreads like a cancer, it spreads like leprosy throughout the whole entire, not only our life, but our home, our church, our community. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And Paul uses that before in 1 Corinthians where he says, so purge out the old leaven that you could be a new lump. He's talking about Passover. How before Passover meal was eaten, they were supposed to take a broom and sweep out all the leaven out of the house. 
I learned from T- Troy Stoffer. You guys remember Troy? He's a chef. That um, he told me one time that leaven is everywhere. Leaven is in the air, and so like your your dough or your lump or whatever will get leaven in it just by sitting out, you know. And so, man, we just have to be so zealous to like purge our life from leaven and anything that would be a weight or a sin that would easily ensnare us. And then, of course, the gospel to that is that Christ, our Passover lamb, was sacrificed for us. So therefore, let us keep the feast, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5.8. Let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Man, I'm only halfway through my notes, and we got to get done. Okay, verse 10. I have confidence. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, real, yeah, can't do it. You got to learn. You got to learn how to filter it out, guys. What's that? I could have, you know, I could have done it by now. Okay, then I will. Okay. Paul says that the false message of Hymenaeus and Philetus was a message that would spread like cancer and overthrow the faith of some. So false gospels are leavens, and they've got to be kicked out of the church. Verse 10, I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. So Paul trusted that he who had begun a good work in the Galatians' life would be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He trusted that the Lord would bring conviction of legalism in these believers' lives and that they would have the boldness of the Spirit to kick these false teachers out. Verse 11, and I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. It seems that some of these false teachers were trying to back up their false teaching by saying that Paul himself was preaching circumcision and preaching legalism and and the Judaizers' message. And maybe they got that from some of that ministry that Paul had that was to those under the law. I became as under the law that I might win them. I mean, maybe there was just that fine line that was there that was causing maybe some 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 false messages and rumors to go out but he says no it's not true if i was preaching salvation and sanctification by the law then why am i being persecuted every day i'm being persecuted by the judaizers or by the sons of hagar and ishmael as we learned at the end of chapter four i'm being persecuted by those guys because i'm preaching that you are not righteous in and of yourselves and you need jesus That's called the offense of the cross. Paul says that to the Corinthians, that that is foolishness to the Greeks and to the Jews it is stumbling block, that you aren't good enough to make it to heaven. How dare you say that about me? I'm an American. I shower twice a day, brush my teeth three times a day. I'm clean. Like there's not a misplaced, you know, pimple on my face. I look religious. I go to church three times a day. I fast every time. The church does a fast. I give a lot. I'm good. But if that's what you're resting in, then your faith is futile. Then your, your works are futile. You're under the law. It's, a, it's an offense to be told that you don't measure up to the righteous standards of God. And if Paul were to preach, oh, you guys are good. You've done plenty. You know, you've got Jewish blood in you. That alone will get you there. Then everyone says, we like that guy. Tell me more how good I am. He he has all friends, no enemies, and problem though, he hasn't been preaching the cross of Jesus. Verse 12, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. What? He said it. He went there. 
Okay, so he's using very graphic language here. <laughs> Take your sunglasses off in church, Jeremy, if you want to be holy. He's using very graphic language here, speaking about those that are saying, you've got to cut off the flesh of the foreskin. You guys are all there with me. You've got to cut that off if you want to be saved. And he says, you know what? These guys that are going around preaching that, troubling people, I want them to cut themselves off. And he goes further than the flesh, and he speaks of being castrated, is what he's speaking of there. It's not too much. It's very appropriate because he's saying these guys need to be gone. Graphically gone. They are sending people to hell. It's the same, it's the language of the action of my buddy Chris and my buddy John, who when a Mormon comes to their door, they've buried enough Mormon family members who they know are in hell that they follow these Mormons door to door and, and reason with them in front of each door that they go by. Because they, my friends are saying, I want these Judaizers of America 2016 to be cut off. Done. People are going to hell and the offense of the Christ has, of Christ has not been preached. The offense of the cross. Verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We went through these uh, verses already, verses 13 and 14. Um, as uh, we look at uh, verse uh, 14, real quick, a couple of neat outline points to help us under, uh, remember this is in verses 13 and 14, uh, first of all, we have limits applied. And so in our freedom, we have limits applied. Our freedom is not to bring about sin and stumbling blocks in people's lives. Uh, it, is not, it is freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. And so there are limits there, limits applied. Secondly, freedom has love expressed. Whenever we are truly free, we will be loving Loving our Lord and loving our friends, loving our neighbors, even loving our enemies. And then verse 14 shows us, freedom sees law fulfilled. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I like what Bag says. Verse 14 reminds us that while we cannot gain acceptance by keeping the law of God, once we have been accepted, our keeping of the law will be an expression of the love of our hearts for the lawmaker and the law giver. J.I. Packer says, law is needed as love's eyes. Love is needed as law's heartbeat. It's the example of the doulos, as we looked at the other day uh, from Exodus 21, that uh, we willingly are bondservants because he has loved us first. I like what one man said, we are in glad bondage to Jesus. Love sees the law fulfilled. Verse 15, but if you, if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. So the opposite of serving one another and being bondservants of one another and loving the Lord with all our heart, the opposite of that is uh, loving ourselves. And in loving ourselves, we will bite and devour our neighbors. We will, and the language speaks of, harming and utterly destroying, wasting and exploiting them completely. We will consume them and destroy them. Paul's going to go on, we'll look at this on Sunday, to look at the mindset of that lifestyle 
that lives carnally, that lives for self, that bites and devours others and consumes them. He's going to list the works of the flesh. And now that wars and lusts against the works of the Spirit, works of the Spirit being loving the Lord, loving others. We're going to see that this Sunday. Um, We're going to go ahead and have, uh, Easy, could you go get the kids and bring them on in? We're going to pray for Mexico with the kids. And um, in closing, I just want to read the Phillips translation of our passage tonight. And it'll be up there on the screen. You were making splendid progress. That's like saying you ran well. You were making splendid progress. Who put you off the course you had set for the truth? That sort of persuasion does not come from the one who's calling you. Alas, it takes only a little leaven to affect the whole lump. I feel confident in the Lord that you will not take any fatal step. But whoever it is who is worrying you will have a serious charge to answer one day. And as for me, my brothers, if I were still advocating circumcision, as some apparently allege, why am I still suffering persecution? I suppose if only I would recommend this little rite, all the hostility which the preaching of the cross provokes would disappear. I wish those who are so eager to cut your bodies would cut themselves off from you altogether. It is to freedom that you've been called, my brothers. Only be careful that freedom does not become mere opportunity for your lower nature. You should be free to serve each other in love. For after all, the whole law toward others is summed up by this one command, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if freedom means merely that you are free to attack and tear each other to pieces, be careful that it doesn't mean that between you. You destroy your fellowship all together. So why don't we go ahead and stand and uh, we're going to have the kids come in as we're standing. I don't know about you guys, I need a little leg stretch. And we can go ahead and get, uh, get ready to show the Mexico map, the Mexico slides here. But Lord, as we come as free citizens of the kingdom of God, We gladly give ourselves as slaves to you. The freedom that we've been given is freedom to love you now. Freedom from sin and freedom to serve God. We pray that you would just work out that type of freedom in our hearts, Lord. You'd work out the type of freedom that is a bondservant to Jesus and a bondservant to one another. Lord, you say in Matthew chapter 5 that unless our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, that we will by no means inherit the kingdom of heaven. And I know personally that my righteousness has never been any better than a scribe or a Pharisee or even the common citizen of, of Israel back in the day. And so, Lord, I myself, with my friends, we appeal to you, Jesus, and to your grace. We pray the Spirit of the living God would just bring up the the tablets of the law on our heart that we would now, out of love, pursue the Lord with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength. And Lord, when we say those four different parts of our physique, Lord, and our psyche, 
our heart, our affections, our thoughts, our meditations, our strength, our physical exertion, Lord, we would love you with all that we are. Lord, we would look to not only our physical neighbor up on Yellow Pine or up on whatever street we live on, but Lord, we would look to our neighbors here at the church, our neighbors in the cubicles, our neighbor at work, and where we would treat them how we would want to be loved. We need your spirit for that, God. Thank you for the freedom that you made us free for. Amen.